Okay, good evening, everybody. Uh, if you don't have, looking for my comments around the, by the Bima. Um, before we do anything else, I want to thank Daniel and the Yorah Lowe for sponsoring tonight's shir in memory of Daniel's grandmother, Leah Bas Moshe. Uh, and our learning this evening should be a zechus for her neshama. Um, okay, so, so, okay. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I was going to give this shir tonight. Because uh, it's a very complicated topic. We're actually going to do it sort of in two parts, actually, um, tonight and, and next week. Which is the, t- next week is about bitachon, trust in Hashem, but it's really the two topics really slide. That's why I put them together. Slide one into the other. So we're going to actually spread it out over two. But but it's a re- it's really a, it's a complicated topic. How's it related to our previous topic? So last week we talked about the thir- thirteen ikari uh, moon of the Rambam. So uh, one of them, right, one of them is to the belief of, of Hashkacha, that Hashem knows what we do. And many, many Mepharshim understand the Rambam to mean that not just that God knows what we're doing, but He also is involved in the world. As many explain when we say Kiddush on Friday night. So what do we say? We say Shabbos is Zecher, Lamas, Eberatius. And we say Kiddush is, and Shabbos is, Zecher, let's see, Asmin Tzrayim, both. It's a remembrance that Hashem created the world and that Hashem took us out of Egypt. Why both? We need both for. The answer is that creation of the world is the recognition of God as creator, whereas Yitzhiya uh, Tzrayim is recognition of God as being someone who is mashkiach, someone who is involved in the world on a consistent basis. We'll talk about that more obviously tonight. But what I... What I um, so, so number one is, maybe we're talking tonight about the 10th principle of faith of the Rambam. Uh, but even beyond that, I think uh, this is one of those topics that, that we wonder about, that we think about a lot. Um, I, we probably all know people in our lives, uh, or maybe us ourselves, who uh, everyone in their own way will have an experience. Some people have multiple experiences. Some people tell you all day how everything that happened in their life. Oh, so this is Hashkacha. Now it's Hashkacha. Can you believe it? It's amazing. Hashkacha who set up the traffic stop just on time for me so I could get... And then sometimes we chuckle. And then sometimes we wonder, is it, maybe it's true. Is that person just trying to see it more? Or does the fact that that person tries to see it more maybe actually make it happen to them more? I don't know. How does that work? So... When we did the case of Hachal Yeah. you didn't even say that. Right. Like, your presumption was that it was Hashem sending you a sign. Correct. You didn't even say maybe it just happened. Right. We talked about a case last week, Ashala Shudas, which really set up. And I, I totally forgot. I was planning on actually using it as an intro to this year. And now we'll, we'll use it. Thank you. You should help me out, David. Because last week, Ashala Shudas, every day, every Shabbos, Ashala Shudas, we talk about a Shalash from Zilberstein. Zilberstein, who's a, uh, a postig in Cholon. So he wrote, so they have a safer called Viharevna. You may have seen it before. I have it in Hebrew and I have it in English. Of like quirky, interesting halacha questions that come up. So the question that came up for this scenario was a guy who was planning to take a trip somewhere out of the country, and he set aside you know, a certain amount of cash in an envelope, and he put it in a drawer in, in, in one of the rooms in his house. A few hours, and he, I guess this is in the old days, they're like taking, he's gonna take the cash to the airport, I guess, and, and gonna pay for the ticket at, at the airport, apparently. So he's, uh, you know, that night, before he goes to sleep, there's a fire in the apartment, and the only thing in the entire house that is affected by the fire is the drawer that had the money for the trip. So what's the shayla? So the, shayla, the question he asked was as follows. He said, is it either 
should I not go on the trip? Maybe it's a sign. Or he said, maybe I'm not allowed to not go on the trip because maybe that's superstition. There's an issue of, 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 of lo sanach hashu. You can't be superstitious. I have a black cat walks on a, on a football field during Monday Night Football. So, you know, I'm going to bet, you know, I'm going to put 500 on the, on the Giants or whatever, right? You would never put anything on the Giants. But you know what I'm saying? Like, right? So, like, that might, be, that might be us, sir, because of superstition. So that was the question he asked for Zilberstein. This question, is it, is it permissible or even appropriate to wonder that maybe this is hashkacha practice? Fine. But be that as it may, uh, what we're going to do tonight, you know, before we do anything else, I want to I turn to source number one. Source number one is an, is a, an excerpt from a book called hashkacha practice, aptly named, um, by Rabbi Arya Libowitz. Rabbi Arya Libowitz is a Rebbe in Yeshivat Shalvim. Um, he's a really very learned individual who spent a lot of time researching this topic and, uh, and wrote a beautiful sefer, an English sefer on the topic. It's, it's not dense, it's not easy to read, but it's uh, about as, as clear as you can get as an English book about a very complex topic. Um, and he, in his introduction to the sefer, he writes as follows. Um, he distinguishes between, between what we call chachma and das. Chachma typically is known, you try to find it as wisdom, Da'as, knowledge, which in English really is basically the same thing. So what's the difference? So he says like this, Chachma does not have to affect the way one conducts their life. But Da'as always will. So Chachma, he wants to argue, is like intellectual understanding. Da'as is something much more deep, right? Something that, that, that reverberates much more. Das is knowledge that one lives by. Morals, virtues, and other existential truths compose one's das. Often something is learned as pure information, as chachma, and over time it is internalized and enters the realm of das. Knowledge's journey from chachma to das heralds a deepening of ex- existence and reflects an exist- ex- existential transformation in one's relation to truth. A fact becomes a belief. In the footnote, he actually points out that's why the language of das is used in the physical relationship between husband and wife. Right? Because there's a, a connection, a real, a real meaningful, deep connection. The goal of studying divine providence is not really to understand the information, but rather to prepare ourselves for the internalization of this knowledge. Indeed, the purpose of all Torah study is to bring the information learned to the level of Das. What's Chabad stand for? Chachma Bina Das. Right? Same thing. Das is the highest level. Uh, Proper Torah study serves, no inter- serves to internalize wisdom to make it part of one's essence. When it comes to the study of divine providence, there is a specific term associated with the internalization of knowledge. Living life with an acute awareness, a real das of the reality of divine providence, is referred to as having bitachon. What's bitachon? Trust in Hashem. Right? If, I, if I really appreciate and understand how it is that God is involved in my life, that's going to lead to a different way a unique way that I relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a much more deeper, more meaningful way. He knew, I guess, that we were tonight going to talk about HaShach HaFratis and next week going to talk about Bitachon. But there's a reason why we're doing that. Because one should, in a certain sense, lead to the other. We learned the topic yesterday. We're going to talk about constructs, uh, you know, intellectual constructs. But the goal is to internalize them what they really mean. Fine. Um, so what are we going to do tonight and what are we not going to do tonight? Because right? there's a lot of pieces of this that we can't, we can't do all of it, every single piece of this in one night, but we can cover a, a lot. So 
I, we're not going to pretend to give an answer tonight to why God does X and doesn't do Y. Uh, we don't know. In the end of the day, we don't know. We can't explain God made this person wealthy and that person poor, this person healthy, that person sick. These are not questions that we, anyone can really answer. Um, so that's not what we're going to do. Um, we're also um, not going to be able to explain that there are also, besides the issue of Ashtaka Pratis, how Hashem decides to interact with the world, we can't explain, you know, there are other factors also. So for example, the Gemara will talk about something called Yisur and Sha'ava. Someone who's a perfectly wonderful, amazing person has done no, nothing wrong in the world, but God nevertheless will cause them to have some type of pain or challenge in their life. For some reason, we don't really get that it, they, they'll be affected now, and then in but they won't have it, or whatever that is exactly. There are other factors that can, play, that, that can play a role in why certain things happen to an individual, and to one person and not the other person. We can't explain all the factors. Um, one other piece that's a whole different topic also is what happens... How do you explain divine providence and free will? Right? If I believe that everything that happens to me to a certain extent is, is divinely ordained, right? so when someone decides to walk up to me and punch me in the face, so that God ordained that, but I thought that other person chose to do it. So how does that work? So that, that's a, a, a complexity that comes out of this conversation. We won't get to that tonight. But what will we get to tonight? So what we're going to do tonight is discuss the main the basic, there's really two approaches to our chakra process that, that, are, that are the main, uh, the mainstream approaches. One is an approach of the medieval achronim. The approach of the Rambam, the Ramban, the Svorno, the, the, the Seifari Karim, many of the individuals we spoke about last week um, and their approach to this issue. And then, next week, I think, we're going to talk more about the approach of the Hasidim and the Vilna which is really a, a, really a little bit of a different approach. We'll see if we can find some type of common ground between the two. But tonight what I want to do is talk about what we call typically the traditional approach to Ashkach HaPratis, to divine intervention. Yeah? Your examples for why things happen, right? So, right. So is it fair to say that if you really have to talk on, then when something happens and you say, Baruch Dianemus, right. that's the end of it. You don't question it. You question it at all. You shouldn't wonder it. You just accept that. We, ha- we, we, do, we, do, we do accept, right? We, we as Jews, we say when something bad happens, so we say Baruch Dain and MS. Um, I may have mentioned to you before, Rabbi uh, Moshe Feinstein was once asked, what if we're supposed to believe Kol Manda Avi Rachman that everything Hashem does is for the good, right? Hashem, that's the Gemara says, everything Hashem does is for the good. Great. So then when someone passes away, what should we say? Baruch HaTov Hashem did something good for me, apparently, right? So Moshe Feinstein says, yes, yeah, so yeah, but God made us human beings. And even though we intellectually understand that God, you know, has a plan, it doesn't mean we don't feel emotionally sad and devastated when terrible things happen. So if Moshe said, yeah, in theory that would be correct, but he were human, and we can't possibly do that, and God recognizes that, and therefore gave us the process of Avelos, etc. So we, even though we, yeah, we'll say, we, we accept, we say we say tzidak adin at a, at, a, uh, at a funeral, we recognize God's, God's justice even though we can't possibly fathom it. Um, nevertheless, that doesn't mean that we can't inquire as to how the system works. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Again, th- th- this is like a, it's like a theoretical um, exercise in a certain sense of how, how the Rishonim understand that this whole process goes. Um, even though it, I can't, it, it won't tell you be able to say that when I walk out of this room, so I know exactly why X or Y is happening necessarily. 
but it's going to help us have a framework for understanding the concept of God's intervention in general. Okay? Okay. I want, I want you to imagine four, four scenarios, though, first, before we do anything else. Four scenarios, okay? So each, each one of these is a new story um, that, that has happened in the past. Uh, and some of them aren't news stories, they're just part of nature. So, for example, if you like the Discovery Channel and you like to watch, you know, uh, things that happen in, in, the, in the desert in, in Africa or in, in the plains in Africa, so what do you find? Sometimes you'll, you'll see them tell you a story about uh, a group of wildebeests who are uh, roaming through the, through the plains and there's a, then they're going to zoom in on a, on, a, on a leopard, right, who's uh, very hungry. And what's he going to do is he's going to run after the... Right, run after the, the, the group of wildebeest, he's going to catch one, that one will be killed, the rest of them will escape. So what's the first, what's the question you have to ask yourself? Why did that one get killed, right? And what happened to the rest? Did God ordain the death of that wildebeest or that, whatever, whatever, it is, whatever the animal is? Did God ordain it? Okay, that's number one. Different question. You have a... Uh, you have a, a tornado in a city, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, someone loses their dog. He's taken away in the tornado. Okay, Joe Smith loses his dog. And, and the next day, what happens? They, fi- they find the dog. The dog is reunited with Joe Smith. Okay? So Joe's happy, right? He got his dog back. Now, the dog was saved and didn't die. So did God ordain that that dog shouldn't die? Or did it just happen? Okay, what's the difference between those two two examples? Okay, one's a positive, one's a negative. Let's say the dog dies. Okay, I don't know whatever. <laughs> but the wildebeest escapes. Good. One affects a human being, right? In in the first case, the the, the wild animals in Africa, at least in theory, there's no human beings around. Okay. In the second case, there's a human Joe, right? The owner is somehow involved in this conversation. Fine. He's affected. Okay? Imagine a third case. A third case. You have, um, you have, uh, I don't know, I'm like, uh, uh, Christina Smith also, whatever. She she wins $50 million in the lottery. Okay? Great. Okay? She wins the lottery. She bought a lottery ticket and she wins. Okay? 1980s, 1980s, I believe, a TWA flight, something. Uh, Ruf Huttner, right, was on that flight. His, the flight is hijacked, and miraculously, he's saved. Okay, this actually happened. Right, Ruf was saved. Everyone on that flight was saved, including Ruf Huttner, who got a, uh, who were able to be saved from the terrorists and were murdered by terrorists. Another, another miracle. Okay, what's the difference between those two examples? A lot of differences. Okay, so maybe, maybe a, a certain atzadik, right? A tzaddik being saved as opposed to a regular person having something happen in life. Does that make a difference? We have to see. Okay, so keep those four examples kind of in your mind as we, as we move along. I'm sorry that now it's too hot in here. I apologize, but well, it's better than being freezing cold. Okay, so if you want to see the basics, the basics, the, the best example, one of the best examples of the traditional approach to Ashkaka practice. You will find it in a lot of places. One of them is in the Sefer Achinoch. Sefer Achinoch and source number two on your sheet. Remember the first time. Source number two on your sheet. It says as follows. What mitzvah is he talking about? The mitzvah of Tzaraas. 
want to talk about Ashtach Pratis, there's no better mitzvah to talk about than the mitzvah of Tzaras. So it says the Sefer Achin Chesfal. Misharshe mitzvah likfob and afshosenu ki ashkachas Hashem baderechu. Pratis. Ako echad ve'echad in Paniyadam. The Ram, the Sefer Achinoch always, right? Sefer Achinoch written sometime in the 1100s or so, is written by an anonymous writer who now they think they know who it was, but an anonymous writer writing a, 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 a book to his son about the mitzvot, and he always goes to Misharshe mitzvah. What's the mitzvah all about? What's an explanation for why God would give such a mitzvah? So he believes that the reason for the mitzvah of Tsaras is to tell us that pratis specifically, individually, on each and every person. And Hashem's eyes are open on everything that happens to us. Why? There are groups of people. There are some people who think that God's providence rely, lies on every creature. On human beings, on other animals. On everything. There are some people who think that Hashem has, he, he, he has divine providence on every item, even inanimate objects. That no great blade of grass moves in the world without God deciding that blade of grass should be right here. People who think that. That when a leaf falls, God commanded that leaf to fall off the tree. So there are people who think that. So it's very hard to imagine. Very hard to believe. And there are worse people. Other people who think that God has no ashkach at all. God created the world and he walked away. That's, that's heresy. Right, so people believe that, so he says, on the one hand, people believe that God controls everything. That the light turns green at that moment because God decided it would turn green. That the, that the, that the leaf falls in the tree because that, the, that beetle walked into my living room because God put it there. He says, that's hard to believe. On the other hand, people who believe that God doesn't do anything. The world just continues on its own. And that, he says, is heresy. That's wrong. Vanachnu, bale hadas ha'amitis, those of us who believe the truth, he says, according to what I've heard. It's a very fascinating language. That which I heard. Interesting. Like, I heard once. The, the, you know what I mean? That's not language you hear much. Even the same, I heard once. It's interesting. It sounds like it's like his misora, but he, how he learned this. That God puts his hashkacha on all living creatures in a general sense. Meaning that God wants to make sure that there are elephants in the world. So he makes sure that in general elephants remain. He wants to make sure that there are bald eagles and that there are giraffes, etc. But when it comes to human beings, 
So let's back up. What do you mean, so what does that mean to do with, the, with elephants or the wildebeests or whatever they are? That God doesn't pay attention to whether one wildebeest or one elephant or one dog dies as long as there remain dogs in the world. There remain cats to roam the streets of Yushalayim. Whatever it is that he makes sure that they're going to be, that he wants to keep the ecosystems, whatever reasons he has for keeping them alive, he keeps them alive however he wants. But he doesn't care about that sheep or that horse, or that, that doesn't matter. You know those pieces that go extinct. So uh, correct, okay, so how do you do it? So, so, that, but again, so God decides that he doesn't want to have uh, woolly mammoths anymore, right? So he allows them to die out, I guess, right? But the, but the point being that God, his hashkacha can be to make them extinct, right? But the point is that he doesn't care that that woolly mammoth dies, as long so according as... To that, according to that approach, that one wildebeest that died, was random right. or, or whatever had nothing to do with Hashem. Hands off. Hands off. God doesn't care. Example number one, according to the Sefer HaChinuch, God has no interest. I mean, he got interest. He doesn't touch it. He doesn't get involved. He allows the, the cheetah to kill the wildebeest. He doesn't care. Okay? That's what we call Hashkacha Kalalis. General intervention. That God makes sure that the general we call it general species intervention. God makes sure that the species as a whole remains intact, but he doesn't play a role in the specifics of their life. Fine. But when it comes to, to, to human beings, when men Adam, the species of humankind, now I mean what do we believe? That Hashem's providence lies on each and every individual specifically, what we call specific divine providence, right? Specific, specific individual providence. And God knows everything that they do. And there are many people who write about this, that it's the same thing. This is the classic traditional approach, and we're going to have to see, there's caveats to this also. But the, 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 the basic approach of the Sefer Chinuch, and the basic approach of the Rambam, of the Ramban, some people like to make that there's like a bit machlokus in the Ramban and the Ramban on some of these issues. I don't want to get into the details of like the specific differences because in many ways they're very, very similar. And the Ramban sheet that we're going to talk about as well is very complex. Um, so it's not necessarily true that the Rambam and the Ramban differ all that much. And really, the vast majority of Rishonim fall into this category and they believe like this. That when it comes to animals in general, God has this general hashkacha um, over the species when it comes to human beings. So that's when he plays a role in every single species, specifically in the specific details of their life. Okay, yeah, human beings. So we're going to see. We're, yeah, yes, we're going yes, to have to have caveats now. So there's some caveats. Why, why is there a need for this approach to, to intellectually differentiate between humans and everything else in the world, inanimate objects or animals? Meaning, if you want to posit this is for humans, mm-hmm. which we presumably do. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard? Why is he say that's that's so far you know removed from Seifel to say that Hashem has over everything? Good. So, so, so we're going to see an, a further differentiation, which we're going to talk about in a second, which may help to explain why even why that would be true. Yeah. Okay. So you could argue that when he brought the model. He specifically wanted everyone except the Noah's family to die. Correct. You could argue that. Well, yeah, we know. He, he told us that. He destroyed all the animals except for the ones that were on the table. Correct. The well, there, well, there was general... I mean, that was also general species, but that case is a case of Nebuah. Right? In that case, is a specific case 
where for God had a specific reason why he wanted to destroy the entire world and all the people and all the animals, etc. But he got, he God then... He wasn't destroying the species because he said to Noah to take right. on your table, but Noah right. was randomly picking, so Noah was saving... Okay, I'm saving these two elephants, the rest are going to be killed. I mean, you could, you could argue in that... I mean, you could, you could make the argument that in that case, that's general species intervention, uh, you know, uh, divine intervention. Why? Because he's specifically making sure to save the species. Right? He's making sure how, through, animal, through Noah, to make sure those people alive. No one says the reason animals die or don't die, or it's because they deserve it. We're not, who says it's because they deserve it? For whatever reason God has. As we move along, we see, I think some of this will be clarified. We'll see. Okay. Um, the, in the Mornavuchim, the Ramam says the same thing. Let's look at it in the English, it's just a little easier. The Ramam in source number three um, writes as follows I believe. A divine providence in the lower world that is under the lunar spheres is directed towards the human species alone. Only the human species is governed with divine providence in every detail of life and all good and bad that occurs to him in accordance with what he deserves. Okay, so we're going to have to see how that goes. However, regarding all other animals and even more so the plants and other inanimate objects, my view is that of Aristotle. I do not believe at all that this specific leaf falls as a result of divine providence, nor that this spider devours this specific fly as a result of divine decree on this individual fly. By the way, you've seen now two Rishonim who say, and by the way, I don't believe that approach. Why is that? Why are they specifying a specific approach that they don't believe? Presumably because that belief was, was, was around. When we talk about the Hasidic approach and the approach of the Vilna Gon, we're going to see that this is going to come back. Okay, this idea of literally every single leaf that falls and every blade of grass, that becomes an approach of the Hasidim, an approach of the Vilna Gon and of others also. Um, but the Ram says, absolutely not. Furthermore, I don't believe that when Ruvain spits and the spit lands on a specific mosquito in a specific place and kills the mosquito, that this is fulfillment of a heavenly decree, nor that when a fish snatches a specific worm floating on the river, that such was the will of the Lord. Rather, all the aforementioned occurrences are completely chance, as Aristotle contends. Okay? So, the Ram is saying the same thing. However, we're going to find exceptions or caveats within the rule. Okay? No, no one's saying that God doesn't know. God does know. God does know. He, he, he does know, but He does not ordain that these things should happen. He can watch. He, he, God lives outside of time, right? So God will know what's going to happen, but he's not choosing for the, that spider to eat that bug. The spider eats the bug on its own. He watches it. He, know, he probably, knows, he probably he knows what's going to happen before it happens. But he's not saying, oh, that bug needs to die, so let's make sure that spider's in the way, so it'll kill it. Isn't that, I mean, all these approaches... Limit God? Limit God. Doesn't mean God can't. So good. So we're going to have to see how this works. Because the question is going to be, if this is true, what's nature? Because right? the Ramban talks about nature. And we're going to have to see how the Ramban defines nature. How is that going to work with all this? Because otherwise, what does that mean? If God doesn't play a role, so what? It's rolling by itself. I thought the, whole, the world doesn't roll, go along by itself. So how does that work? So let's, so let's keep going. So the Radak in Tehillim Kuf Memhe says something very important. And he writes as follows. There's great confusion among the scholarly. 
that when a, when a lion kills a sheep, that when the sheep is killed, it's because the sheep was deserving to die. And some say, Others nah, animals, nothing, just humans. The Radak says, well, maybe God doesn't get involved in the wildebeest. But what about Joe's dog? There, God does play a role. Why? It's a connection to a human being. It's hashkacha pratis on the animal vis-a-vis the human being. Okay? So that would be the difference in case number one and case number two is that God may leave animals, plants, whatever, to themselves except for when there's a connection to a human being. And by the way, what does that do? That extremely limits the times when God leaves animals, especially today, when we... The animals can't get away from us, right? The deer used to be on their own, maybe. Now the deer are very much in, you know, in our backyards. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to limit a lot the cases where God is now no longer involved because how often did it, what happened to this animal or that animal sometimes affect a human being? Yeah? How does the butterfly affect Okay, so we're going to, yeah, so we're going to keep that, keep that question with you as we go, go further, as we go further. Okay. So, so far, just to summarize, what have we done so far? We have argued that according to, the, again, this main classic approach, that God does not have Ashkacha Pratis specific individual providence on every single animal or insect or blade of grass. He does on every human being. And on the animal, insect, item, etc., if it has an impact on the human being who gets Ashkacha Pratis. Okay? So far we're okay? Good. Okay. Okay, but it gets more complicated. Because is it true that every human being gets hashkacha pratis in the same way? And the answer, according to these Rishonim, is no. It's not the same. The Ramchal, Moshe Chaim Litzato, points out in source number five that there's a distinction. And he writes, God constantly oversees all his creations. And he sustains and directs them according to the purpose for which they were created. However, because the human species was singled out to receive reward and punishment based on their actions, so too the divine providence they receive is different than the divine providence of other species. This is getting to the question that you asked before. Why, why are human beings different than animals? And the answer is because a human being has free will. A human being has expectations. Things we're supposed to do that God wanted to accomplish in the world. And therefore he says, okay, I, you're going to do the things I want you to do, so now I'm going to take care of you so you can continue to do the things that I want you to do in the world. That is, the divine providence over other species is to sustain the specific species according to the laws and boundaries that God desires. Hence, his providence is over each individual member of each species only in regards to its impact on the general species. However, regarding the human species, each individual is governed with divine providence, not only in relation to its general group, but also to the individual. So you already start to see the Ramchal. The Ramchal here did not make a distinction yet between types of human beings. But what did he say? He explains why human beings and animals are different. The reason why a human being gets divine providence 
specific to them, as opposed to the animal, which, which does not, is because this, a human being has a role to play in the world, fulfilling presumably what God wants to see in the world. And therefore, which an animal does not. So the general need of the, of the animals is much less important to God than, than human beings. Yeah? And therefore, we have a piece of Hashem. When God wants to protect Himself, Sorry. and God wants to protect Himself, you're saying? No, but like the idea that Hashem goes back to God and like is, is part of God as a being, whatever that means. Whatever that means. Okay, you could see that's not t- typically how they talk about it. That's not typically you're just because as we see more differentiations, this the, the Ramchal didn't didn't make a distinction yet between different types of people. You see where you see where we're going here, right? Um, so he didn't make the distinction yet. He's just explaining why humans as opposed to animals. Yeah. So then, is the purpose of animals in this world only for us? Because then why would they be here? That might very well be the answer. The, the Rambam is going to say yes. The Rambam would say yes that the that the purpose of animals. I mean. That's like totally not PC anymore to say this, right? But it's, I think it's totally true. Um, is that the purpose of animals is to serve human beings, right? That's what God tells Adam when he's created, right? That you're, that you're going to be Moshe over all these, all these animals, right? And they're going to be part of the world so that you can do the, your job in the world, right? That's what the, the world's created, Bishvalidi for Allah, right? Every person to believe the world's created for them, not in not, not an egotistical way. But they recognize they have a purpose here, right? An animal doesn't have that sense, they not that, that understanding. Right? So they can't, they can't fulfill a purpose in themselves as much as they help right? human beings fulfill their purpose in the world. I think the Rambam, I'm pretty sure the Rambam would say such a thing. But I, we're going to spend tonight, for the next little while, talking a lot about the Ramban. Okay, the Ramban, who lived in the 1200s, mainly in Spain, um, at one point he ends up in a debate with Pablo Cristiani, which he didn't want to, uh, he did not want to debate him about theology, but he was forced to do so. Once he does so, he publishes, he wins the debate, and he publishes the, uh, the, doc- the documentation of that debate, and he gets thrown out of Spain, he has to leave. It ends up in Eretz Israel, actually. Ends up in Israel, uh, and moves to the old city, where he has his own shul, today known as the Ramban shul, because that's where the Ramban does it. It's really the Ramban shul. He got there when he was 73 years old. Um, he, the Ramban is the amount of writing as that the Ramban did and the level of sophistication and deep understanding of Kabbalah and all, all things. Halakha is Perushim on Shas, is Perushim on Machshava, on the Torah, full, full of, of very, very sophisticated, beautiful ideas. Fine. He writes as follows. Source number 16. He's going to say some things that seem to contradict themselves a couple of times. We're going to have to understand how this works. Okay? And he says as follows. He's talking, the first, this first piece is talking uh, last week's Parsha. Right? When, when God, this week's Parsha. When God decides to destroy Stoman and what happens? God says, well, I have to let Avram know what I'm doing. Why? Why do I have to tell Avram what I'm doing? He's going he's to teach his family. They're going to follow his ways. And he, they're going to have this land that belong to them. I, I got to tell Avram about what's going to happen here. So what does it mean that God says, I know, I know him. I know Avram. Says Ramban as follows. What, what, what makes sense to me? 
That guy really knows, I mean, that guy knows Avram. That knowledge, right? No, it's actually related to the first thing we said from early woods. Right? Das. Knowledge is hashkacha. God's knowledge means his providence over the lower world. He lishmor haklalim, to typically guard species in general. And even human beings, says Ramban, can also be left to chance. Until the time when they are remembered. Typically translated as, until they die. But for God's pure, righteous ones. But for someone who's really close to Hashem, God wants to know them specifically. To, be, to have his shmira on them, to be guarding them constantly. He's not going to leave him for a moment. And this comes from a pasuk in Tehillim, that God's eyes are on those who fear him. Ramban took this and now really cut out a lot more people. What did he just say? Who are the ones that God has divine intervention on specifically? Special, Special people. The Hasidim. The, not, not, not Bar Park, right? Hasid, right? The people who, right? The people, them also could be also, but I'm saying, love that, right? But I'm saying, but the, the point being, right? Hasidim in times of the Rishonim, men, so very righteous, pure, righteous people. That the Ramban seems to say that the Hashgacha Pratis goes only on people who are very closely connected to Hashem. He says the same thing in Sefer Devarim, that only Tzadikim and Rishoyim get Hashem HaPratis. Okay? Those who really deserve it in a bad way, and those who really deserve it in a good way. And everybody else, some type of nature, we're going to have to, to see. The Sforno also writes, the Sforno says, Dana, what you mentioned, he says only Jews have divine providence, and not non-Jews. Okay? And he even says that even within Jews, it's only those who are awake and aware of their responsibilities in the world. They're the ones who get divine providence, and everybody else is left to mikrev, left, left to happenstance. Okay? And there's one really big problem with this approach. What's a really big problem with this approach? Or what, what bothers you a lot about this approach? Besides the fact that I don't know if any of us think that we're chassidim, but besides that, besides that, yeah? Yeah. Um, the only thing that gets people through life is the knowing that it's all from Hashem right. and the crime. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and like that's, like how could you say like, that like something bad It's happens, all random. And it's just random. Like, right. It's horrible. What? Horrible. Right. Good. So for some people, for some people, you should know, there's two ways to go with that, by the way. Some people think the idea of, of bad things happening at random as this horrifyingly scary thing. Other, some people think of it as a little bit like it makes them feel a little bit better. Why? I'm not being punished by God. Just, so stuff happens. Stuff happens. Right, for some people. Don't worry, I'm not saying that's what happens. Don't worry, don't worry. You have to come to both shiurim, by the way. Now you have to come to both. Because we're going to get to the other, the other approach. The approach you like better is next week. Um, but, but the point is, but what, what else, but what else is hard about this? Yeah. Okay. Ah, very good. 
it, it seems to be that when I'm feeling, if I'm very connected to Hashem, then Hashem is very connected to me. We're going to see, we're going to talk more about that as we move along. Very good. But, God plays favorites. God plays favorites, okay. How many, what percentage of the world now has divine providence? Almost nobody. <laughs> Almost nobody. I don't know. I don't, I, you guys do. I don't know about me. I, I, what? Yeah. Right. At some point right. So that that's good. That, that that's very nice. We want to see more about that. But the, but the the problem is that it it, it minimizes. We have Rishonim telling us that there's divine providence on human beings and not on animals. Well, then it's not really true. It's really there's divine providence on a, a few human beings and not on anybody else. Right. Ah, oh, good. We're gonna get to tefillah also. Very good. Tefillah is like out the window with this. I'm gonna do tefillah. Great. We're gonna come back to tefillah. Okay, so Rabbi Ariel Lewis in his Sefer, he gives actually two answers to this question. One answer he says is, um, yeah, maybe, you're right. maybe it's true, Falka. that, you know, you're right. But we see as being left to Mikra as like this punishment. Maybe it's not a punishment, that's just living life. Um, and uh, having like this specific providence of Hashem is a bonus. That's one answer. That's not the answer I like. But that's one answer, one answer he gives. The other answer he gives is that it depends on you understand how in the Svarna writes, people who are awake to like fulfilling their role in the world. And how, who, how do you define people that way? And everyone uses the language of the Ramban of chassidim only. Right? The greatest, most holy people. But there are individuals, Jewish, and he argues, and not Jewish, who are striving to fulfill their job in the world. Right? We may at times be more on the fulfilling level, and sometimes we struggle more. But lots of people are, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't pretend to know who's, you know, on the, uh, you know, in, in, the, in this camp or in that camp, just because they have their look on the outside, right? Everyone's trying to fulfill their job with the Kaddish Baruch And by the way, even someone who's born with no knowledge of Torah at all, but maybe that, uh, you know, Dessler has this very, uh, you know, um, beautiful explanation of, of what a person we call the Nekudas HaBechira, the point of choice for people. And he basically argues that the job of every person is, there's only one area in my life, you know, everybody struggles in different places. So for one person, it's like, I, I want to turn a light on on Shabbos, and I try not to. For another person, it's like, I want to learn for four hours today, and not, and, uh, instead of three hours, right? And everyone's in different places. No one person's better than the other. The goal of each person is to move forward. Right, then now I'm good. I don't turn a lot on Shabbos. Now I have a hard time with coming to Shul on Shabbos. Whatever that is. Every person, the goal is to push your point of choice. At the point where you're struggling. But one person could start, you know, way further back than the other person. But move, ahead, move along much longer. But, who, you know, at the end of the day, one person might be more observant than the other. But one person's grown so much more. Right? So who's to say who is the Hasidim? And who's to say who's doing what God wants of them? Right? That, that helps me a lot. Um, and I think that, that, for me, it's an explanation that I think really helps um, in terms, yes, there, there still would be limiting factors within Hashkacha Pratis, according to Ramban, and according to, to he's not the only one who says this, um, but it's still a little more expensive. And the point being, according to Ramban, is that the more I am inclined to do my job in the world, the more God is inclined to take care of me. A little bit more, in a little more specific way. Okay. 
Good. For people who have already reached a certain level, like that. Could be. Because the person's already reached a certain level. That could be. That could be. Uh, look, if you look at the Rambam, Mornavuchim, the next source, so the Rambam says something very similar to what you're saying, George. I mean, n- not the point about the Hasidim versus other people, but in terms of not being all or nothing. Right? So he writes. The amount of divine providence that governs an individual is, the, is commensurate to the share of divine influence that he achieves through his inborn abilities, intellectual and spiritual accomplishments. Therefore, the extent of divine providence is not the same for each individual human. The varying levels of providence upon them is like the varying levels of their individual perfection. This is one of the foundational points of the Torah. Right? That every person is going to have more or less hashkacha pradis in their life depending on how much you know, they're being successful at trying to connect to Hashem. Okay, um, I just want to make sure I don't run out of time, so I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you in a second. Um, but this, um, this, um, the Rav Yosef Alba is the same exact thing. That it, like every, it's like a sliding scale, right? It can depend on where you are, each person differently. But there's two very little, two lingering questions that we gotta, that we have to deal with before we finish. One is, what does chance really mean? What does it mean, mikra? Are you really left to, to just total chance? And number two is the question of tefillah. If, we, if, if you take this approach that not everything or everyone all the time has hashkacha pratis at every, every moment necessarily, depending on who they are, so how do I dive in? As I always say, everybody believes in hashkacha pratis. For everyone, every, any person who's like, you know, in any way connected in a religious way, right, believes in hashkacha pratis. Why? Because they come to Shonim Kippur. If you come to Shonim Kippur, not just Yom Kippur, you come every day. Right? But I'm saying, but person who, who davens and means what they say when they daven, what does that mean? It means that you believe that if I daven, what's going to happen? Hashem will intervene in my life. Right? So we all believe in Hashkacha Pratis to a certain extent because we daven. But then how does that work if it's not, it's not you know, across the board at all times? What does that mean? How does that work? So... So take a look at this run, the next Ramban. The next Ramban runs a little counter to what we just said. This Ramban is, quote, the famous Ramban. One of the, well, I don't think people say famous, but if you know any Ramban, this is the Ramban to know. This Ramban, if you've never heard it before, you're, you're, this is a very, very important Ramban. Ramban this is the Ramban in Parshish Bo. And he says, When a person sees great miracles, source number eight, great miracles, like the miracles of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, Ademode Benisim Hanistarim Shem When you see big miracles, when you see fire and ice come together as hail, what do you realize? The fact that typically water will put out fire is also an ice. That's not natural, right? Shein la Adam. Check this out. Sounds like last week's here. You have no place in Moshe's Torah. But everything that happens to us, they're all miracles. There's no na- nature and a way of the world. So, what? Didn't my mind just tell me that not everybody has a shaka pratis? So, what's going on here? Whether that's in, in, with the whole you know, community or with one individual. 
If you do the right thing, God will help you out. And if not, bad things happen. Ramban all of a sudden tells us that it's actually very simple. There is no nature. Everything's a miracle. I don't understand that. What do you mean to do with that? Why is it not difficult to do? This is part of the question we were asking before. Okay. But if he's making it happen, what does it mean? He set up principles, basic principles of the world: fire, ice, water, sky, ground, people, whatever. They do all these things, kind of like turn the knob, and he said, "Okay, now they go." Right. So, so if all those things are still miraculous. Doesn't mean that God is intervening at that point to say, "This, you know, drop of water at this moment is going to go this fire." So, you're, so Joe, you want to say that when when the Ramban says it's all miracles is like the miracle of nature. The miracle of, wait, I guess, but like miracle of God's intervention in nature. Like, it's, but it's not intervention. Not intervention. Intervention means God he makes created, it, he's God choosing right now. God so. created nature, that's a miracle. Right there. Like that itself is a miracle. So meaning the way a lot of people read this Rambam, which is like, it's very nice, it's beautiful. Look at this. Nature. It's, that's a Kodesh Baruch You go on a hike and you go to the White Mountains and you go, out. <sighs> that's true. I, that's, it. that's what I love going to, to, to out, to, to, to hike, right? Because you, you see the Rebbeinu Mamish, you do, you see the Rebbeinu No, it's true. But you could read this as everything is, you could read it like the way he only wants to read it, which is everything is Hashem. Everything's Hashem. Hashem's right here, right? This is Hashem, this second. So it, it does sound like that. Yeah. So, so, so there are those who explain it like this. There are those who explain it like this. I believe what's right is in his book. I, I believe Rav Chaim Friedlander uh, in his Sefer Sif Sechayim also explains it this way as well. And he basically argues that if everything is a miracle and nothing is nature, right? So what does that mean you live that, that someone's life can be left to chance? And he wants to argue basically like this, that nature is a system right, that Kadosh Baruch Hu sets up and continue, God is continually recreating the world every single moment, right? So at any moment, what can God choose to do? He can alter it if he wants to. Right? He doesn't have to, God doesn't follow the rules of nature. He makes the rules of nature, but he can change them whenever he wants. That's the whole point that Ramban is saying. God can always switch it. So if that's true, that means when someone's left to nature, what does that really mean? It means that God decided what? Not to step in. Which means that God let it happen. So a miracle is when it goes against nature, but does it mean God didn't want the other thing to happen? No, he did. Right? He, he also let that happen also. Meaning whatever happens is, is God's choice because God can choose not to make it happen. Don't get me wrong. We play, we have a, there's a role for us to play in this out. When I, when I, was, when I was dating my wife, I was, um, I was um, very, I liked my wife a lot very much when I was dating her. Uh, and so I was, uh, uh, I had just met her. We had, we had been going out for like a month. The day before I met, we were, I was in Boston and she was in Teaneck. We met in Connecticut. Got home very late that, that night. I went out the next day. I was driving, driving my parents' car. And I was, I think, daydreaming. I was like in La La Land. And I got a car accident. I totaled my parents' car. And Baruch Hashem, I was fine. But it was very scary. I got in the car. I said to my, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but whatever. I said under my breath, 
Hashem wanted it to happen. My father's never angry at me, ever. Very few times in my life my father angry at me. He was like, do not say that. And I actually came, and I actually came back to Yeshiva afterwards, and I went to Rabbi Tversky, and I said, I think I was wrong, right? Like, what I said was not correct. He said, you were wrong. So I said, why was I wrong? He said, because you, you were irresponsible. Right? You can't be irresponsible and then say, well, Hashem saved me, right? I did something irresponsible. I, wasn't, I, was, right? I, wasn't, I made a mistake. So, yes, did God allow it to happen? If he wanted to step in, he could have. He didn't, so in a certain sense, yes, God wanted it to happen. But don't, don't put it like, God ordained the car accident. Like, you made a mistake. So, meaning, my point is that it's, not, it's never all that simple. It's never all that simple. But in the same time, is it true that God wanted... Uh, yeah, he let it happen. He did. He did let it happen. He didn't save me from, from, from my own mistake. I mean, except that he did, because I was fine. Right? So, right? So all... So it's complicated. What? Right. So and, I did, and I did get a lesson from that. Exactly. Exactly. There are times when we make God for something. We think that it's what we want. Right. No. Right. And we interpret that as, oh, whichever that is. Right. And that's Hashkacha Pratis, maybe. Or is the goal to just say, I mean, what should the Hashkacha be? That, oh, okay, well, I guess I call Mandra on Tav of it. Yeah. So it could be, it could be one, it could be both. You don't know. It could be one of the other. We're, we're going to talk about them more next week. We talk about we talk on. But but you're right. Like how how did the two go together? But the, the point that Rabbi Leibowitz is making is that even happenstance isn't really happenstance, right? It's it's even you don't you don't you're not zocha to you know God lifted you out. And I mean I was right still. I was I was okay, but. But, but it doesn't mean that God wasn't involved. I think it's a bit an important distinction here. But, we do the ultimate curse and God doesn't care. Right. Uh, right, like the, like the snake. Uh, I'm fine with letting carry, right? I don't care, I'm just going to let nature happen. Right, right. Curse. Correct. God has no interest in me. That's why the, the biggest curse for the Nachash is that he can eat, he'll have food forever. You're going to eat everything. Because you don't, I, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Exactly. So, but what do we do with David? So let's just get to that. I want to get this last point before we finish. So what about davening? So the, the davening part is beautiful. Because the Ramban had said that, that God, we saw this before, he said that he lets, lives us to happenstance until Pekudasam, until the moment of, we said, so you, so you die. But the Targum explains Pekudasam actually means Pakodif Kod can mean to the Tshuva. And that when you remove your Averos, then God rests. Right? Then God comes closer. When you allow God to come close to you, right, you try to come close to him, he comes close to you. And he writes that, ex- ex- that specifically over here in source number where it says conclusion. Close to your conclusion. Source number 10. He writes as follows. We are... One, two, three, four, five lines down after the ellipsis. The reason for this is clearly known. For since man recognizes his God, God in turn watches over him and protects him. This is not true of the other creatures, which do not speak and do not know their creator. This then is why he protests, protects the righteous. For just as their heart and eyes are always with him, so are the eyes of God on them from the beginning of the year until the end. 
to the point where the absolute pious man who cleaves to his God always and who never separates himself from him in his thoughts by paying attention to mundane matters, etc., will be guarded always from all accidents. That's exactly what you said. Right? And that the point is that, again, according to this approach, that everyone doesn't have Hashem at every second, is that, but you see, that it really becomes in our hands. Look at the last source, Salvation. Salvatic writes, the fundamental of providence is here transformed into a concrete commandment, an obligation incumbent upon man. Man is obliged to broaden the scope and strengthen the intensity of the individual providence that watches over him. It's our job, says the Rav, to increase our hashkacha. Everything is dependent on him, not Hashem, on us. It's all in his hands. When a person creates himself, ceases to be a mere species man, and becomes a man of God, then he has fulfilled that commandment which is implicit in the principle of providence. I put on here for a uh, piece from a Hirsch where he talks about if a person has no, no time to, to, to get to um, to Davin Pesukah de Zimra. There's one part of Pesukah Zimra supposed to say. What tefillah is that? Ashrei. Baruch Shemar and Yishtabach and the only tefillah, Ashrei. Why? What's, and, and the Gemara says, what's the main part of Ashrei? Poseach es yadacha umaspiya l'choch harazon. And Hashem provides for us totally. And the Gemara says, that the entire purpose of all the Pesach of Zimra is just to say that line. And if a person says Ashrei three times a day, they are Ben Olam Haba. Why? Because Ashrei, if I'm getting ready to talk to Hashem, the first thing I have to remind myself is that God takes care of me. And so the, the way, the ultimate tool for increasing my Hashkacha is by dominating, by talking to Kodesh Baruch. That's the way I make myself connected. Uh, uh, there's a safer on the Ramban, I forget the name of the, uh, of Oisman, I think his name is, who writes that when a person davens, they're considered like a chassid. When you're davening, you have that special direct connection and you have that providence. And it's through tefillah that we increase that connection, that we can increase it in other ways also. But that tefillah is that main way, right, to be able to make that connection which in turn makes the Kaddish Baruch Hu turn back to us and that maybe would explain partially why we focus so much on tefillah as part of what we do as Jews David Melch says I need tefillah if only I could daven the whole day I never understood that why would you want to daven the whole day and the answer is because that's the way I connect with Moshe and that's the way in inverse he then responds to me it's an amazing thing so even with this less than I than, you know, some people don't like this, this form of Hashem practice that, uh, you know, that it's not for everybody, it's not all the time, at every moment, for every... First of all, we found a way to make it a little bit more expensive, right? every person in their own way, finding a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but it's also, it's not all or nothing. It's the more I find myself connected to the Rebbe Shalom, and this is what the Rebbe Shalom said, the more the Rebbe Shalom will watch over me and play a role in my life. Next week, we have the opportunity to hear from the Hasidim and from the Vilna Gon and see a, a very different approach, Yoni's approach, we'll call it, and, how, and maybe how those two approaches... Aren't, uh, aren't so different. Okay, that should go ahead, everybody. Next week is Tuesday. Next week is Tuesday. Next week is Tuesday. Just a reminder, next week is Tuesday.